Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. We are back, and we're going to go right to the phones. And joining us from Tightline Outdoors, as he does every week at this time, is Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing good. A couple quick thoughts. I, this is our 24th year of doing this show, and you've been around for quite a bit of it. Not all of it, but a long time with us, and thank you for that. The other thing, well, thank I, think you. Karen's, I think Karen's job might be on the line. We have, um, he's going to be six here in a few days. Uh, Weston Salty is our production assistant, our grand, grandchild, and he's actually handling things pretty well. So I bet I can get him a lot less expensive than I can pay Karen. <laughs> that, that's it. You know, uh, I'm going to stay out of that conversation. Let's know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I value my life. I'm going to let it go there, too. <laughs> hey, hey, Nate. It says on my notes, you want to talk walleye fishing through the ice in Colorado. Well, first of all, there are no walleyes in Colorado, and you certainly can't catch them through the ice, right? <laughs> you know, Terry, you, it's unbelievable. You know, unfortunately, nor on a normal year, we'd be geared up to go to ISE, and that comment that you just made is probably the most common comment uh, that we hear at the traditional sports show is, you know, they see a picture of a walleye up in our booth, and they go, there's walleyes here? Um, you know, and not only are there walleyes, but there's a lot of them, and there's a lot of big uh, so we want to talk about that, and Terry, on top of that, we have a ton of stuff going on. Um, you know, this literally is probably the heart and soul of our ice fishing week and the kickoff to our season. Uh, obviously, we've been on the ice for six, eight weeks, but uh, we have a ton of stuff going on. So we want to talk about ice walleyes, and I want to kind of update everybody on everything that uh, I'm doing and everything that Tightline Outdoors is doing uh, and everything in the ice world right now. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. There's some tremendous walleye fishing in Colorado. I've written several articles in the past for In Fisherman Magazine. I, you and I have done videos for my tel- past television shows that people can find on YouTube at The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. In fact, I just put a chat field. You weren't with us on that one, but I did a chat field ice fishing show just recently that was filmed in the past that we put up there. There's just, but you have to, it's not the same as Midwest ice fishing, is it? It's not, Terry. You know, our our intense bait population uh, really changes our bite. You know, the fact that we have so much gizzard shad, um, our fish are well-fed. It's just a different food source, um, and these walleyes take advantage of it. And, you know, being somebody who is guided in Minnesota and all across the Midwest and then fishes here, um, it's drastically different. Um, you know, when I was guiding in Minnesota and fishing in Minnesota, You'd get out on the ice, you know, in the morning, but 6, 7 o'clock, you know, you'd have breakfast first. And uh, I wouldn't say that you were in a rush to get out there. And, you know, you would fish for a good portion of the day, if not all day, and have walleye action, you know, all day long. Um, I mean, there's times, especially like when I got on Lake of the Woods, where, you know, you wouldn't see walleyes until 10 o'clock. And it was like a 10 to 2 bite, as opposed to our western fisheries, uh, you know, your Chatfields, Cherry Creek, the fishers that we're hitting right now, um, you know, they have an intense base fish population of gizzard shad and because that gizzard shad is transitioning in the water column at low light periods of the day that's really when the walleyes are activating on these fish most um, and more so that's when it presents an opportunity for you to catch these fish um, when the walleyes are suspended on the bait fish um, it is really tough as an ice angler to cover that water you 
obviously can't you know set your planer boards in troll form. You can't cover the water column uh, through the ice like you can in open water. So as an ice angler, we're putting all of our focus on a very short two, three-hour window in the morning and a very short two, three-hour window in the evening. And that's probably the biggest thing. You know, I talk to so many anglers that struggle to catch walleyes through the ice, um, and so many of them have the right gear and the right, you know, tools uh, and concepts. The biggest thing is they're they're missing the timing, and sometimes they're missing the, the association with the structure. So as a, a invite or an informational section for catching walleyes, number one, I almost always get on the ice, and like right now, you know, we've been on the ice in the last couple of days, um, I'm trying to drill my holes right around 5 a.m. Um, sounds early, doesn't get light till later in the day, but the problem is, is you know, in the morning, your shad are high, so your shad are up in the water column, and you really don't want to scatter those bait fish too much by drilling holes, so I drill my holes early so I don't spook anything, um, and then as those bait fish start transitioning from high in the water column down into the basin, um, they kind of bump into structure, and that's really when the walleyes are activating on that bait fish. So, you know, right now I'm fishing from like five to eight, five to nine, and that's your peak window of opportunity. If you're on the ice from five to seven, you are catching walleyes right now. The other thing that we look for is you really want to be on some fairly steep contour. Now, obviously, if the fishery that you're on isn't one of the ones we're talking about, um, if you don't have steep structure, just find the steepest contour you can find. But ideally, you're going to have at least a 10-foot contour drop. So on that contour, you want at least a 10-foot depth change. Um, and the steeper that change, the better off you're going to be. And I always fish the edge of that contour deepest or, or closest i should say to the deepest water section so if you're on a point extruding out or a roadbed look at the the biggest vast deep water section of water around you and fish that contour on that side um, and sit right on that edge and those are going to be kind of the the general concepts to leading to a successful day on the ice for walleyes here in colorado now a lot of the lakes you fish are front range lakes for walleyes obviously what are you seeing for ice conditions before we go any further Absolutely, Kerry. You know, we have a, a very tremendous bite going right now. I'm not going to lie, at Chatfield and Cherry Creek. With that, I, I think we've been trying to hide that there's ice on these front range lakes because we want to make sure everybody uses caution. Um, obviously, we have new anglers going out there. We have experienced anglers. But these front range fisheries, generally on a, on a good year, you know, we might get four to five weeks of ice. But this year, um, we kind of froze in different sections. So Chatfield right now, you have open water and you have ice as thick as like six and a half inches, but it really varies on where you're at. So the south arm, what we call it, the southwest corner of Chatfield from the swim beach going southwest, um, that has pretty stable ice. Everything from, say, four and a half inches to about six and a half inches. And then Plum Creek or, or Roxborough Cove has some ice and the North Boat Dock has some ice. Everything from the swim beach going kind of northeast, um, that stuff froze very late. It froze in weird sections. Uh, there's still open water. It's kind of a, a weird spot. Um, so, Chatfield, you really have to use caution. Um, you know, I would check. I would carry a spud bar, and I would check that ice very, very frequently. Uh, as far as out at Cherry Creek, same thing. We do have some uneven ice out there. 
Um, it seems to be a little bit more stable at Cherry Creek than it does Chatfield uh, as far as more consistent depth ranges of that ice. Uh, but we're sitting on, on a pretty good five-inch base at Cherry Creek in, in a lot of areas. Not all areas, but in a lot of areas. Um, so, we, so we do have ice out there. Uh, the techniques that we talked about as far as low light periods, fishing those contours are effective on both fisheries. Uh, and I will say that both fisheries always have their their small tendencies um, of how you catch those walleye. So you look at a fishery like Chatfield, it has notoriously uh, always been a very strong blade bait bite through the ice, and that is continuing this year. Uh, so blade baits through the ice at Chatfield are doing very well. Uh, spoons are doing fairly well. Um, if I had to pick one or the other, I, I'm doing far better on blades than I am the jigging spoons. Uh, same thing at Cherry Creek. Cherry Creek is notoriously been a a swimming minnow style bait so whether that's a jigging wrap or uh, a shiver minnow or a tika minnow and there's a lot of options on the market puppet minnows um you know most manufacturers are making that swimming jigging wrap style bait uh those are notoriously good through the ice at cherry creek and they're continuing to be fairly good through the ice at cherry creek this year uh same as spoons spoons are catching quite a few fish at cherry creek right now um the spoons are a little bit more hit and miss if you have the right flutter with the right color um those fish are hitting the spoons and they're hitting them very aggressively but i will say you have to change up colors and action those spoons a little more frequently than normal to really uh dial in what those fish are looking for right now all right nate before we run out of time what do you got coming up for schools and tournaments and other activities absolutely so number one i I'd encourage everybody to write down on the calendars uh Tuesday evening. So Tuesday evening at 7 p.m., uh, we're doing another live segment with our partners at Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Uh, really excited about this. So number one, we're doing a webinar. Uh, so you can go to my Facebook page later on today, and you can grab a link, and you can actually register uh, to be a part of this webinar. Very similar to like a Zoom meeting, uh, but really exclusive content. Um, so kind of a really neat interaction with Colorado Parks and Wildlife through this webinar. Again, you're going to register to be a part of that. You can ask us exclusive questions uh, and kind of get some really neat content. Uh, so we're doing that Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. We're also pairing that uh, with another Facebook Live segment with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So all that is happening Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Again, you can go to our Facebook page, which is tightlineoutdoors.com, or excuse me, just Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. Uh, you can get all the information for that coming up the next couple days but tuesday evening a uh, big night with colorado parks and wildlife all dedicated to information on ice fishing colorado we're going to talk about trophy lake child big walleyes rainbows uh and everything else so excited about that then wednesday evening same thing at 7 p.m uh this is on the clam facebook page so you can go to the clam outdoors clam ice fishing facebook page we're going to do another live segment with them at 7 p.m this is going to be talking about concept nationwide uh but big pike through the ice walleyes pan fish uh, a lot of stuff we usually might not talk about uh, but a lot of cool concepts talk a lot of gear so really excited to talk uh, live on the clam facebook page uh, then we are also launching our ice school uh, we've had a few changes we're updating the website right now ice school if you register now the on ice portion is going to be at cherry creek reservoir next saturday the 9th we have a morning spot and an afternoon spot um, the in class section of that school is actually going to be digital so we've created a a very lengthy three-hour video with 
everything you could possibly know about catching walleyes through the ice. Uh, I mean, we talk about, you know, particular jig strokes per bait. We talk about lines per bait, uh, how to approach contour, how to deal with barometric pressure, what's your hot zones. Uh, we talk ice safety, gear, electronics. Uh, this is a very lengthy video. So if you sign up for ice school, ice school is $150 per student. Uh, so great value. You get a three-hour video with everything you know about catching western walleyes through the ice. And then you get to join me on the ice Saturday at Cherry Creek for a live in-person, uh, basically a guide trip. So we do four hours on the ice, the three-hour video, $150 per student. Uh, we have a morning class and an afternoon class next Saturday on ice. Uh, so you can go to our website, uh, Facebook, however, get a hold of my email, email me, tell me you want to sign up for that class, and we can get you registered. Again, $150 for that class. Uh, we start sending out those videos Tuesday evening. The on-ice portion is that Saturday, so excited about that. And then we are kicking off our prize list and everything to do with ice addiction uh, this week. So you'll see our prize list Monday morning uh, to see all the stuff. We're paying out 30 spots. First place is around seventy five dollars to $7,700 in cash and gear. Uh, so a ton of stuff going on. And I will say uh, we've had a lot of questions. We have had some changes with ice addiction. Uh, but we promise we are bringing you a very safe uh, and very clean event. So when I say it like that, we've met all COVID regulations. We just want to encourage anglers uh, that we've done everything within our power uh, to make sure that this event goes off very safely. Uh, and I think it's going to be a great event. Had a few changes, but I think the changes are actually going to help things out. Uh, so really excited about all that with ice addiction. So you can always go to our website uh, and Facebook this week to see all the updates with ice addiction. And again, our first event is at Grand Lake on January 16th. So uh, the next two weeks are jam-packed between guiding, ice schools, live segments, uh, ice tournaments. We are literally living on the ice 18 to 20 hours a day uh, for the next two weeks. So really excited about that. 30 seconds because we're out of time. What's the ice conditions up at 11 Mile? You're very solid. All the South Park lakes are very locked in. Uh, we hit 50 below at Antero this week, uh, so we are good to go in all the South Park lakes. I would say that I have no concerns uh, about pretty much anywhere in those bodies of water. Maybe avoid the inlets a little bit, but for the most part, uh, South Park now is very locked up. All right, my friend. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks for joining we'll talk us. talk to you soon. All right, Nate Zielinski. By the way, you know, you should follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, a lot of what's on this show, a lot of the podcasts, a lot of my videos, a lot of articles and columns I've written for The Post or In Fisherman will show up there. So follow us, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Brad Peterson is going to join us. He's got an ice fish update, but he's also going to talk some waterfall on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, locations up and down the front range. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us, he's our waterfall expert and an accomplished fisherman who's been in the industry for many years, Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. You know, I was just thinking, we're starting our 24th year of the radio show, but you even go back further than that with me because... We filmed the pilot for the television show prior to that, and you were with us then. So we've been doing this for a long time. One of us is getting old. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's true. You know, we need to at some point in time, Terry, have a segment where we bring in Tom Bruno, yourself and myself, and we talk about that pilot. Because if people knew how that pilot went, 
they would be amazed that it ever actually made it on TV. I know. It was it was quite an experience, wasn't it? Well, we'll get back to that some other time. But right now, we've been taking people around the state talking ice fishing. But before we get to some of the northern front range waters and areas you fish, you also do a lot of waterfall. In fact, you were probably in a blind today if you're not still. What's going on with the waterfall hunting? Well, the waterfall hunting, um, you know, we're getting a little bit of the on the goose side, the what I kind of the Christmas doldrums in that a lot of people hunt the right before Christmas and between Christmas and New Year's. So the geese are getting kind of educated and stale, and they've become a little bit tougher. So people are either having to go with really big spreads or trying to get permission on the field that the birds are landing on. But for the duck hunting side of things, it's really it's starting to improve in that. We finally got all these ponds and lakes to get completely capped over, which has pushed the birds to the river. So the river and the associated sloughs have gotten better. We still haven't had our our next push of ducks in, but we've concentrated the ducks that we do have into a smaller area. So if people want to get out, I would recommend, you know, going to some of the, the river bottom areas and be willing to spend some time. You know, this morning we were out. And we had a good flight, of course, like normal, Murphy's Law, always before shooting hours. And then it's just kind of been slow and steady all morning. But we're getting our opportunities. Um, actually picked up a goose as well. Um, so I would I'd do that and, uh, you know, plan to stick around till at least noon. There, there's a just this slow, steady flight of birds. And, and if you're willing to put the time in, you're going to get an opportunity to, to harvest some birds. Now, let's switch to the ice fishing side. Um, a lot of the small ponds, the lakes up north here are freezing. You and I both hit one in the last few days, one that you seem to consistently do better on than I do. I, I go out onto lawn haggler sometimes, and I, um, and I get a lot of fish. Then I go out other times, and I struggle, and I get lazy when I'm out there, and I don't move enough, or I don't bring bait with me. You went out there and caught a few, but overall, what are you seeing out there with ponds and some of the waters? Well, I'm seeing that uh, most of the stuff is iced over, but you still need to be pretty careful because there's portions of the lakes that are still real marginal. You know, um, a couple of days ago, I was out on, on one pond that had, you know, an inch, an inch, maybe an inch and a half of ice on one side, but four inches on the other. So you still really need to be careful. And then we had certain areas like some of the coves in Boyd that were iced up and then that warm weather made that ice go bad and you put snow on top of it and it's it's freezing and adding a little bit of fresh ice but the quality of ice just isn't there like some of the other spots so up in the north area definitely take the precaution you know and really spud your way out and make sure you're out there with other people but there are lakes you know uh, st brain has got good ice on it uh Lon Hagler does, Boat Eckerd, uh, Douglas has got good resources. So they all have got, you know, places that you can get out and fish. And the bite is, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's lights out, but if you're willing to put the time in and, like you say, kind of look around and change baits, you're going to be able to find some fish to catch. Yesterday out at Lon Hagler, you know, it took me going through four or five different type spoons before I finally found the one that I was catching fish on, and then once I did, the bite kind of picked up. Well, and I got a few bites when I was out there, and I I kind of made some bad decisions as far as 
the water is down in Lawn Hagler, and usually when the water's like it is right now, I've caught, I just wanted to catch some fish. A lot of times I can catch trout in shallow water. Well, I drilled a hole, and I was in like 20, 22 feet, much deeper than I wanted to be or wanted to start. So I, I played with that. I moved into about 12 feet, and I did a little playing around, watched my electronics, didn't really get anything, moved into about five, six feet, still didn't get anything. But then I moved out to about 29, 30 feet, and I started getting bit. Now, I had three or four fish on, but I had actually tweaked my back, and I was getting lazy, and I knew I had to get home. So I didn't put the time in to figure out what those fish were biting. But for me on a pond like that, it's unusual to have to fish that deep. When you send somebody out to a Bodeck or a Lon Hagler or a Douglas, what's the biggest tip you can give them? Well, on a lot of those places, if you're able to find either some sort of a break or bottom transition, um, you know, Lon Hagler, uh, one of the better spots is to find that right where the rocks end. And right now that's up in about, you know, 14, 16 feet along the dam. That's kind of a highway right there. And you'll get a lot of, you know, panfish, trout, and bass will all kind of cruise that highway along there. Uh, Bodecker has some gravel pits, so figure out if they're on the top lip or or the bottom of those gravel pits. But I kind of target right in there, and then like you know, Douglas has got um, kind of over there by the dam. There's there's a few flats and breaks in there, so I really try to to find those structural or uh, you know transition zones and try to target that. That's going to increase your chances of catching fish. And if you've never fished a body of water, that's where I'd tell people to start off. And the other thing is, don't be afraid to go small. I know up in the mountains, a lot of people like using larger baits. But if you're just wanting to get out and catch fish, I really downsize. A lot of times I'm using two and three pound test line, really small lures with either small uh, plastics or, you know, one single spike on there. And you're going to get a lot more bites doing that. Yeah, I, I find I tend to do that, too. I tend to have one more aggressive lure, and a lot of times one, and I'm using for that smaller lure, like when I was in the 5 and 6 feet or 10 feet or 15 feet, I could go with almost any small ice fishing jig. But when I got out 20, 30 feet, you really need to go, if you're going to go small, go to a, a tungsten uh, ice fishing jig because even with light line, getting a small jig down 20, 30 feet can take some time. Yeah, and, and if you're having problems or you don't have tungsten, you know, the other option is, oh, about 18 inches above your jig, just put a split shot in there, and that'll help it drop down there a lot quicker and uh, get you back to that presentation. Because there are some times that the way that tungsten reacts to the action you give it through the rod is not what they want, and they want that little bit more subtle action of a lead jig. But if you're trying to get that added distance – you know, go up about 18 inches and put a split shot there. Um, if you've got electronics, pay attention because there's oftentimes that you'll get some of the panfish interested in the split shot. And so if you just raise your, your rod up about that 18 inches, all of a sudden you put your bait right in front of those fish that were looking at your split shot. Brad, we got to go. If people want more information or book a trip, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, the best way to get in touch with me is either Brad Peterson Outdoors on Facebook or give me a call at 303-829-3998. All right, my friend. We will talk again soon. 
Thank you. All right, sounds good, Brad. Thanks, Mike. You bet. Brad, Brad Peterson, always a great resource. Speaking of great resources, we're going to take a time out, and Chad Lachance is going to join us, and he's going to talk cooking. A couple of weeks ago, he talked getting your fish and game from the field home. Now he's going to talk about getting it to the, to the table. All that and more coming up on Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. it to the limit well maybe our next guest will take it to the limit he's going to teach us how to cook you're listening to terry wicks from outdoors on 104.3 the fan and joining us now as he does every other week uh in this hour is chad lachance good morning chad hey good morning terry happy new year's happy new year to you you know it's the we're starting the 24th year of doing this show and you've been a part of it for gosh going back like a million years i think I know, right? It seems like it. Uh, this will make you feel old, Terry. How about this? Uh, today is the 624th consecutive Saturday morning that I've been on TV, and uh, and the 300th episode of Fishful Thinker Television. So thank you guys for that. Well, it's been a it's been quite a trip for both of us, hasn't it? You know, Chad. Last week you you took uh, you told us how to take our game and our fish from the field to home and to the freezer even and then you kind of told us how to clean up maybe some of that a few things to brighten up some of the stuff we've had in the freezer maybe longer than we want but now a lot of people are back from hunting they've got it might not have been frozen yet fresh game they've got fresh game in their freezer and the same with fish uh but a lot of people still struggle with how to get the best flavor and how to cook that so i i think you're going to share some techniques with us is that right yeah, you know, <clears throat> this is Colorado, right? We've got a lot of, of hunting and fishing outdoor heritage. And the biggest thing I think that, that I hear people's all the time, because I all but live on venison around my house, either elk or deer or antelope, whatever, lucky enough to harvest moose, you know, all the above. And I always surprise people, and I always you always hear the comments about, oh, it's gamey or it's tough or it's dry. And... I take great pride in making my venison not do that. And one of the simplest ways to make really good venison is to use cast iron. And the reason they use cast iron is cast iron has a lot of thermal mass. It's a very heavy uh, implement, as you know, and it stores a lot of heat. When it, Once it gets warm, it stores a lot of heat. And therefore, it does a great job of browning things off, browning uh, the Maillard reactions, the chemical reaction with proteins and, and heat come together, and it makes everything taste good. Everybody likes that golden, you know, golden brown crust. And, uh, and that's what I really like to develop on venison. But there's a couple keys to it. And, uh, and so let's talk to a couple of those. First of all, let's talk about it's a loin steak or a round steak or maybe a tenderloin. In other words, not a cut of meat that we want to cook low and slow for a long time. This is something that we can do hot and fast, and it's really delicious. So I'll say let's just talk about a loin steak. That's the most common one, and it wouldn't matter if this was a, a mountain goat or an antelope or anywhere in between. Take those steaks. I like to trim any silver skin or fat off of it. There shouldn't be any fat on them anyway, but any silver skin, anything like that, anything that isn't pure red meat, trim them up, make them nice and even, and make them look perfect as far as that, you know, getting any of the the waste off of it. Then take that meat, and then I like to make sure it's padded completely dry, 
and I'll give it a seasoning. And I'm a very simple guy when it comes to that. Uh, at least a baseline seasoning for me is just going to be salt and pepper, but it's going to take a little bit more of both of them than, than what you might think. If you prefer a blended seasoning, a brisket rub, something like that, that's fine. That's up to you. But the base level seasoning for me is always just salt and pepper. And then I'll take those steaks, the loin steaks, round steaks, whatever they are, after I season them, and I'll stick them in the refrigerator for like an hour, hour and a half, uncovered. And the reason is, is it will form a little bit of a pellicle on there. The steaks will dry really good, and it will help them brown faster and brown better uh, when you put them in the skillet. The other thing the fridge does is it cools them down, and that's counterintuitive. We've, we've all heard you put a steak on the counter and you let it get warm or let it get room temperature before you cook it. And that's fine, and I get it, and that works really well with beef. But with the thing with venison is the steaks are so much smaller that for you to get any sort of a real serious flavor crust on them, you they need to be cold. And they will not be tough. You'll say, oh, it'll be tough. It'll be tough. It will not be tough unless you overcook it. So I like to leave them in the fridge, let them get cold, let them form a pellicle. And then while that's going on, I'll go ahead and heat the cast iron skillet up. And cast iron skillet needs to you need to give it time to get high you can't just throw it on a pan you know on the burner and then turn it on and think it's ready to cook i like to warm them for a good five minutes uh, let it get slowly up to temperature and then when i put a single drop of water on there it should all but bounce and come off it needs to be hot that skillet needs to be very hot and then i'll take the meat out of the fridge i will brush it with a fat mixture now Fat could be any kind. You could use anything from olive oil to butter to bacon fat to goose fat to whatever you might happen to have. For me, I like a mixture of three types of fat together. I melt them ahead of time, and then I brush that on the meat. And the reason I do that is that I don't need any more fat in my pan than uh, than what I need to keep to coat the meat, keep it from sticking and help it develop the flavor crust. So if you put all your fat in the pan, it's going to spatter everywhere. The butter's going to burn. You're going to go through a lot more uh, fat doing that. So I'll melt it in a separate little dish and then brush it directly on the meat, and I go from there. My fat mixture is almost always equal parts of butter, bacon fat, and olive oil. The bacon fat will give it flavor, the butter will help it brown, and the olive oil will stabilize the, the mixture as far as temperature-wise so the fat doesn't burn. And uh, brush that on the meat. Pan's really hot, and then put the steaks down. Brush it right on, put them right down on the skillet, push them down, make sure they make a really good content, a contact, and then don't touch them. They need to sit there uh, unmolested, don't touch them, just let them sit there and, and form a crust on that side. Uh, and I use my nose for that, Terry, and I hate to say that, but I'll just smell, and I'm smelling, I'm smelling, and you want to get it to the edge of burning, but don't burn it. You want to get it right to the edge to where it's nicely charred, but not burnt. So I'll use my nose. When it starts to get that little tiny tinge where you can smell it starting to almost try to burn, then I'll go ahead and flip them. I like to put them on a separate spot in the skillet. If there, there should be plenty of room in your skillet, you don't ever want to crowd the skillet or your stuff will not brown. It will, it will unfortunately bathe in liquid, and it will not have that really good texture and flavor. So I'll flip it. Uh, as soon as I think it's three-quarters done, if I poke it with my finger uh, or stick a thermometer, depending on how you want to do it, I like to just poke it with my finger. Uh, I want to pull them off rare, and then I'll put them on a plate, and I'll put a lid over the top of them and just let them coast for the last little bit. I prefer to eat my venison rare to medium rare. 
much more the medium rare. When you talk about a venison loin steak or, a, a, you know, any of the actual steaks, if you cook it down all the way to medium, it is going to be dry. And if you are too squeamish for that, then maybe a sauce or stick to more wet cooking. But you're going to be disappointed if you do a dry steak and you cook it all the way through. Uh, it's going to be tough and it's going to be dry. There's just no fat content in the meat to make it, you know, to make it not that way. So sear them, set them aside, cover them, let them sit for two or three or four minutes. And then you're going to find out you have really, really delicious venison. And like I said, it could be an antelope, could be a, a mountain goat or anywhere in between moose. They all, they all behave the same in terms of how I handle them in the skillet and day in and day out. That's my most standard thing. If I want some gravy or some sauce with it, maybe I'll deglaze that skillet with some red wine, pour a splash of red wine in there. Maybe I'll throw some onions in there with it. Um, you know, something like that, if I want it, depending on what I want with my steak. But if I just want a good venison steak, that's how you make it. All right. Now, before we move on, we're going to have just a couple minutes. Uh, I want a few couple tips on fish, but I'm going to give you a share a little wine. You know that I'm into wine and food pairings. If you're cooking wild meat like venison, uh, a lot of times you'll hear, do a big cab. Big cab is great. It goes well with those strong flavors if they're a little stronger. You can even do a Merlot or a Big Zin. But here's a tip that a lot of people haven't tried. If you're going to put a little spice on your venison, buy a bottle of Petite Syrah. Petite Syrah, not Syrah. And when you put a little bit of seasoning on that venison, you try that. That's, how I, that's what I serve every time I cook lamb or wild meat that I put a little spice on. It is unbelievably good, and you can get a nice bottle for 10 to $15.00. Really enhance the flavor. Now, before we get well, let you go, yeah, we got red go. wine and venison go together so good. I mean, it's just it's just it's about the most natural pairing there is. It seems like, right? Yeah, it really is. Hey, we got about five minutes, Chad. How about a couple tips for fish? Well, these days, let me let me throw out a real common one. Right now, everybody's catching trout, right? I know you were just talking about that. It's that time of year. They're the, the most common fish. Everybody's catching trout, and everybody knows that trout, particularly a stalker trout, they were stocked here in fall. They haven't had time to really purge the the purine of trout chow out of their system, and they may not be the best eating fish in the world, but they're still good. They're still good for you, and they're still excellent. You know, something to be able to bring home and, and, and share with your family. So, what I like to do with the with a whole trout. I commonly will do that, leave them whole because then you have the fat and, and the bones and the fish, everything uh, will get you the best overall flavor. But I'll take the trout, I'll split them from the vent all the way up to the, the isthmus or the throat, and then cut the head off, take all the guts out. Otherwise, leave the fish whole. And in a lot of cases, people even leave the head on it. I don't do that. Uh, just because I've had a few guests that look at me kind of funny when I do that. So take the head off, leave the trout hole, and then I like to stuff the cavity of that fish with a little bit of butter, some lemon juice, some kind of fresh herbs, and a little bit of orzo or rice, uh, something like that. Stuff all of that in the cavity, a little bit of white wine in there, roll the whole thing up in aluminum foil, and stick it in your oven, stick it in your grill, stick it in your campfire, whatever you got to do. It's going to need, depending on the size of your fish and everything else, it's going to cook in anywhere between about, oh, 10 minutes and 20 minutes. You know, if you've got a great big trout, it'll take a little longer. But as soon as you can peel that thing open a little bit, check it for liquid content, poke it with a fork, and make sure that the fish will flake. But that will make a trout, even a brand-new fresh stalker trout, taste really good because fish does a good job of sucking up the flavors of the lemon juice and all that. You can put capers in there. 
Uh, you know, you can put some olives and tomato chunks in there and take it down the Mediterranean path. But at the end of the day, the fish with a little bit of acidity, a little bit of fat, a little bit of herbs, and then whatever flavoring you like from there, rolled up in foil and rolled up real tight uh, and sealed up makes for really delicious trout and salmon or anything else. But since we're talking about Colorado outdoors, we'll talk about trout. All right. Now I'm going to give a wine tip for trout, too. And everybody says white wine with fish, and it's good, especially if you really want to add something acidic, uh, a Sauvignon Blanc, or if you want a little bit of residual sweetness, a Riesling, or maybe a Pinot Grigio, but one that has really good acid content, and you can get one for $8 a bottle. You don't have to spend a lot, and that will go with almost any fish. But when you're cooking the oilier fish, like salmon and trout, a lot of times, unless I'm getting real heavy acid in the cooking, I go to a Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir is the perfect pairing with any of the salmon family including trout they give you just a little more body they go well with the fish and that oily fish they just go a little better so you can take and you can take a common meal and turn it into something great chad we got about a minute left any last comments well, I think the biggest thing with, with fish and endgame, don't overcook it. The biggest thing that people do wrong is they overcook that stuff or they don't cook hot enough. So my last comment is, particularly with venison, hot and fast and do not overcook it. You can always put more heat in it, but you can never get any of it out. So don't overcook it. Same thing with your fish. Just be real careful with it and uh, don't overcook it, and your venison and fish will be delicious. I think you've got some cooking tips on your YouTube channel. Is that right? Yes, sir. On the Fishful Thinker YouTube channel, there's about 50 cooking videos up there of various fishing games. It's all fishing game, duck, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. I'd love people to check that out. They're going to see more of that in our content going forward as well. You know, Terry, I love, love, love to cook, and everybody likes to cook and uh, and eat, you know, venison and, and, and game we harvest, and uh, we're going to do more of that going forward. But, yes, the Fishful Thinker YouTube channel, and we are booking guide trips for next year now. You can do those at fishfulthinker.com. Yep, and uh, by the way, uh we're going to get Chad, we're going to coerce him into every few weeks doing these cooking segments. The response from you folks out there has been great. And uh, you and I are kind of foodies and we love to share it. Chad, thank you so much for joining us today. You bet. Thank you, Terry. You have a great day. You bet. Chad Lachance from Fishful Thinker. We're going to take a quick time out and we're going to wrap things up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Hello, darling. Happy birthday. I've decided not to give you a present this year. In fact, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They've been helping the outdoor public enjoy their outdoor activities for 65 years. Growing up and still having fun, just stop by a Jack's store near you and check it out. I tell you what, for those of you that are interested, um, I think the cooking segments with Chad that we do every so often have really got a lot of interest. I will post the podcast to that on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And we post a lot of the um, segments of the podcast on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We also post links to a lot of our videos on our YouTube channel. We just put up one uh, recently. Uh, Karen just added to the channel that's fishing Chatfield ice fishing for walleyes. And I'm sure she will be uh, putting that on the uh, on the Facebook page. And we have one on Glendo uh, fishing for walleye. So I'm not sure of the status of those. But you'll find them eventually on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Now I want to go and find out, is our good friend 
Dan in the studio. Yes, I'm just warming up my pipes, uh, my dulcet tones, because I have to sing happy birthday to the uh, birthday boy. It, it was past. It was it's, 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 I mean, it's tomorrow. It's yes. not today. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm not going to see you tomorrow, so should I sing today? I mean, I know everybody wants to hear me sing, or should I just well, say I happy if birthday? You really, if you really cared, I thought you would personally call me tomorrow and sing it. <laughs> right. Well, I'd have to get through the gatekeepers. You're a pretty important you're, person. I don't know if I could get through. Yeah, well, if you really care about our audience, you won't sing it at all. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, happy hey, birthday, have, sir. Yeah, well, thank you. I do have something I want to uh, – I want – this we're starting the twenty fourth year of this radio show. When did you? When your first time? When did you come to the fan? When was it? Nineteen ninety six. So that was the first so, year. Well, they were they came on late ninety five, but I was on right. the first uh, Avalanche season. I was I I was still in high school with your daughter Tracy. We were seniors in high school. Yeah, I was. And I was just saying, we knew each other, of course, prior to that. Yeah, well, you and I met in uh, seventh grade, I believe. Uh, well, you with, were in seventh grade. I yeah. wasn't. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we had, you were my coach. No, it wasn't yeah. even, no, was it seventh grade? I was trying to think. Yeah, I when I was remember. the bowling champion. Yeah, it's been a long time, but we had a lot of good times together. But uh, 24th year of uh, since this show started, that's pretty amazing. And Ben, you've been on and off at different times uh, with, with the fan and your connection there. Of course, you moved away for a while and came back. So we have a lot of memories to share. But I have something I want to ask you about the Broncos game. Yes, sir. So, so we're going into that last game tomorrow. Is there anything in that game that you want to see or that they can show you or that you're hoping to find out about them or we pass that yeah this whole thing right now you're not going to be able to glean a lot out of that game you want to see fight you want to see competitiveness but this is really such a throwaway game there's really nothing you can carry over especially because of the inconsistency that this team has had all year long. They they have literally carried nothing from one game to the next. Would it be positive to see, you know, Drew Locke come out and have a nice game for four quarters? Because he's really only done that once all year long. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, you know, there would be things. It, it, we all want to feel good about things. So it would be nice to see them and go out and have a nice game. But there's literally nothing they can do. Uh, and Sandy Clough actually said that during the war room uh, this week as well. There's nothing they can do that we can take seriously and go, oh, okay, well, now we know this because they did that on um, Sunday because they just haven't been able to put anything together consistently throughout the year that we can have. There's nothing we can have confidence in moving forward, Terry. Uh, now, the second question I have for you is it looks like there could be a number of quarterbacks that could be fairly decent in the draft. Um we never can tell. We never how know, one, know how one's going to turn out. Are you confident enough that we should give Drew Locke one more year with with an off season and with the, a consistent offensive coordinator, or should quarterback be high in the Broncos' uh, priority? List? I think it's both, Terry. I, I I think he should be back. I don't think you should cut bait and cut him because you're not. It's not like you can trade Drew Locke and get anything for him, right? So. Should Drew Locke be on the team and uh, given an opportunity to compete? Yes. Uh, but should they also be looking at everything else they can to try and get a quarterback? Absolutely. It's not like Drew Locke's done anything to say, well, he's our guy for the future and it would 
retard his development to to bring in competition. No, of course not. Drew Lock has done nothing to you know give us confidence to say, well, we we don't want to you know uh, bring in anything to compete with him. He's just a guy that you know should be on the roster because there's nothing else to do with him. But he should be. They should be doing everything they can. This franchise is is a bottom feeder right now and will be a bottom feeder until they find a quarterback. They don't have a quarterback right now. Drew Locke can still compete, but they need to bring in competition in any way they can. Well, I'm sure you'll talk about that and so much more and probably the college playoffs and what blowouts those games were. But i got to close this show so you can get on the air, my friend. I'll talk to you again next week. All right. Happy birthday, Terry. Yeah, uh, Dan Jacobs. Hey, we're going to close this out. Um, Join us every Saturday from 9 to 11. I want to thank Kyle in the studio. I want to thank Karen in the studio here in Fort Collins and her new production assistant, Weston Salty, who may eventually take her job. We'll see you next week on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Follow us on Facebook. You're listening to 104.3 The Fan.